Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 376 of the Mom Hour. I am Megan Francis here with Sarah Powers. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I was just thinking about the fact that 375 is halfway to 750. Oh, no. We're on numbers now. I don't even know what that means. We're, we're too deep it in. Means last week, last week, we recorded the episode that if we went twice as long, we'd have 750. I mean, How does that strike you? Uh, terrifying? Oh, or yes, terrifying. Amazing. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, I will take um, the conversation, steer it away from math and, and record long-term rec- recording uh, podcast plans. And just say that we're going to talk about college today. Um, I am really excited about this topic because Will is going off to college in the fall. Um, And a couple weeks ago, I got to drive him up north. He's going to a state university in northern Michigan, the Upper Peninsula. And it was really fun dropping him off at his orientation and getting to see the campus. Just gave me like a big wave of nostalgia and envy. But it also kind of made me realize he's the first one of my kids to go directly from high school to college. So like, I don't know. That's interesting, I think. It is interesting. And just to preface all of this, we're going to have a very like, I think, open-ended conversation today that isn't, this is not the episode for like, how to save money for college or how no, to get your you kid know that, into college. Yeah, there's <laughs> there's tips out there for that. I think we're like, I hope we're like really zooming out of like talking about what role does college play? play in like our our own stories, our family culture and the narrative that like our kids are shaping as we speak. So to bring that back to Will, you have five kids, two of them are already launched adults. And this is the first one doing that, like, quote unquote, traditional four year high school to four year college, you know, trajectory. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because some of that those choices were probably shaped directly by me, but a lot of them were not. A lot of them were things that they, the two older boys absorbed from peers and teachers and fam, other family members. And then just like, I guess, watched, uh, you know, what, like looked at their environment and made decisions for themselves that didn't fit that traditional mold. I think we're seeing a lot of that right now, actually. And I think that that's interesting. So Um, but a lot of it goes back to like our families of origin, right. And what we learned about college and what our parents learned about college. And it is such a family culture. And, um, I don't know, there's just such a thing around it and it can be very loaded. And it's also very, it's a big financial decision too, where we're not going to give tips about that, but it can't help, but influence those decisions, both on the parent side and on the kid's side. Sure. And I think actually this is a great topic to, um, kind of say the thing we always say, which is if you're in a bubble, maybe you don't realize you're in a bubble or you don't mean to be in a bubble, but if you're in a bubble where the assumption is a certain trajectory for K through 12 schooling followed by traditional university, and that seems to be what everyone's doing, it's always good to just hit pause on 
what our like preconceived notions about that are and maybe broaden what we see different kinds of families doing all over the country and all over the world. Like for me, I'm always grateful for the opportunity to be like, wait, why do I think that's normal? Or that's what everybody's right. doing. Is that because yeah. it's unique to my community? Um, and what examples can I find that look different? Yeah. Uh, before we take the break, Sarah, I just want to know uh, and get into the meat of the conversation. I am so curious whether your area is a place that has a lot of pride around a certain school's like football team or athletic program. And if that influences where kids in your area or even maybe in your family choose to go to college or have chosen. Um, so you're talking about where I live and I'm raising my kids now, right? Right. Which is also yeah. where you grew up. Also so I think it's I interesting. Up. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to say no, because I have also lived in the Midwest. So I and and even Arizona, actually, where there's quite a bit of like, you know, state school rivalry and a lot of like university athletic pride in the state of Arizona. I'm going to say that where I live now, there are a lot of people who went away to college and the state school system in California is so big and almost like divided up into different types of schools, even state schools that it's not that people don't have a team they cheer for. It's just that there's not, it's not, um, like binary enough to be like, are you, you know, University of Arizona or Arizona State where like everybody's one or the other. And I have found that more in other places I've lived. So I don't think that school pride is necessarily influencing kids or families decisions. I think there are other pressures that are, but I'm sure we can get into those later. Yeah, I, I just wanted to address the sports thing um, first, because I think it's like, Probably, I kind of am not surprised that it, yeah. it wasn't a super big influence, at least for you. I wasn't sure that your area, um, you know, I grew up in the upper peninsula of Michigan. So in a state where there is an intense state sports rivalry, but it really didn't like the UP is kind of isolated from that. We're sort of our own thing up there. Plus everyone's into hockey up there. It's not, it's not the, quite the same. And I think people would be just as likely to be into green Bay. Like, yeah, it's just like a very different cause we're almost as like, Wisconsin-y as we are um, Michigan-y. So it was very disorienting for me when I moved downstate to see things like people's houses paint in like painted in the colors of U of M or Michigan state, which is a big rivalry. Yeah. I also ended up going to high school in a um, city that's about 15 minutes from the border to South Bend, Indiana, which is where Notre Dame is. Yeah. So in my high school, there was just as big a contingent of Notre right. Dame fans. And it was very confusing. Like I didn't understand the fever yeah. and the rivalries and like people's, complete like commitment and passion for a school based on what seemed like the sports yeah. and then how that has actually now that I'm seeing kids go off to school I can see how that actually is affecting school choices like there's a lot of like we all went to state therefore we would love it if our kids went to state not even always pressure but like a school it's a, pride it's like thing identity it's it becomes yes. part of like the family culture even if it's mostly yeah. tongue-in-cheek and about football and stuff, it, it still becomes part of family culture. I, my family of yeah. origin is like Oregon, Oregon state. And in Oregon, there is that very much that binary, like two state school rivalry. And in my mom's sibling group, two went to Oregon and two went to Oregon state. And there was always a fun family rivalry around that. And like inner, like it, I remember it fondly, but then in my growing up, we didn't have anything like that. Um, it's more that like, if I list the families we know locally, they they went to all different kinds of colleges and universities all over. And some have a lot of pride about that, but there's not enough consensus to. <laughs> there's not enough numbers, probably. Exactly. exactly. To make a big impact. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's fun. Megan, the end of the school year and kickoff to summer is a busy time of the year for families, but we can all eat stress-free and hit our wellness goals with ready to eat meals from our sponsor, Factor. Factor's delicious meals are never frozen and can be ready to eat in just two minutes. You can pick from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular choices like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Plus, they have more than 60 add-ons like breakfast, lunch, snacks, and beverages to keep you fueled all day long. So our team was comparing notes recently on our favorite Factor meals, and Katie loved the herb-crusted chicken with mashed cauliflower and toasted almond green beans. I loved that one, too. And get this, so did her little boy, Charlie. 
She heated it up for lunch one day and Charlie, who's three, ate almost all of the green beans. I mean, that's quite an endorsement, right? I was going to say what a parenting win. (laughs) And I get it, Charlie. Those green beans are crazy good. And if you really want to treat yourself, they even have meals with filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. Listeners, head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code momhour5050 at factormeals.com slash momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from Our Place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built-in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay, well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. Our Place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at, and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as Forever Chemicals. In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the Forever Chemicals found in many of those air fryers. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's fromourplace.com, code MOMHOUR. Okay, Sarah, so let's start by talking about our parents and their experiences with and their attitudes about college. Um, I'm going to guess, just from talking to you and knowing your parents, that we were we both came from families that valued learning and education. Um, but did that actually translate to college either for like the choices they made or had made or in what you and your family absorbed, um, you and your brother and sister yeah. absorbed? Um, ooh, great question. So I do think that for both of my parents, going to their local state university was like a big part of their launching identity. The difference is my mom came from parents who were educators. My grandfather on my mom's side was actually a university professor himself. So I would say that educate and both were teachers and he was actually had a doctorate in the education department. So he was a teacher of teachers. So on my mom's side, it's a long line of educators and there was not any elite universities. So it wasn't about what college, but the, the sort of I don't know, pride or expectation or family culture around attending university. Um, and then also in, in part growing up the daughter of a professor in a university town for some of those years um, on my mom's side. Whereas my dad, his parents would not have gone to college. And for him, an athletic scholarship to a state university was in many ways like kind of the ticket out in a way or mm-hmm. like a way to get um, university paid for. And he went on to graduate school. But but would probably not have been interested in college for college's sake. It was really about, first of all, an athletic opportunity and and a scholarship. So I think yeah. for both, it was um, like a big part of their identity. My dad went to the University of Montana. My mom went to Oregon State. Um, and so like, again, to those sort of like upper Pacific Northwest and like, I don't know, Mountain West state schools have their own pride and identity. And then I grew up in that. The difference is we moved to California when I was five. So I did my K-12 down here in Santa Barbara. And like I just described, there was a lot more like it seemed like there were different options than just going to UCSB or Santa Barbara City College, which is where a lot of my peers went, but not everybody. Um, So in terms of my what was like expected of me based on what my parents had experienced, I think it was implied that the college experience was a fun and exciting opportunity that it was uh, expected in a way, not in, in any kind of like what tier school do you get into or like 
how well do you do to get into college, but just that it was an opportunity that would be provided and is sort of expected to take advantage of. And then we can get into later my own like college choice, but I, I felt like I had a lot of autonomy and flexibility as I got later into my teenage years about what college would look like for me. But I do think that the groundwork was laid by my parents' own experience, both very positive experiences at four-year universities, that that would be kind of the, the path I would take. Okay. Um, what's, remind me what decade your parents were born. Uh, my dad was born in 49 and my mom was born. She will, if she's listening to this, she was born at the very, very end of 1954. So she likes to claim 1955 as her birth year, <laughs> as if it matters, as if it matters. So, so she was born in the 50s, in the mid, which could be anyway, probably mid-50s. Mid and my dad is okay. born in 1949. Because I think that those things can make a big difference, too. And so um, they themselves are yeah. six years apart, which like isn't right. is not insignificant in your like growing up formative years. Right. Exactly. Um, so this is really interesting. I actually did not realize how different my mom's and dad's families were until I was quite old. So my dad was the second youngest of five and my mom was the oldest of five. So and I was the youngest in my family. So I was the youngest of the second youngest set of kids. So suffice it to say, like, I did not get to know the cousins on my dad's side very well. And in fact, by the time I really remember even knowing any of them, most, they were scattered all over the country. So I really got to know my mom's family better. Um, what I didn't realize was that my, my dad's entire family was highly college, college educated, including their mom. And I think their dad, um, except for my dad. He went into the army right after high school okay. and then became a state cop and then ended up in like mortgage, like mortgage sales, real estate, like all kinds of things that you had to do a lot of learning, but you didn't have to go to college for. And I, I think that was like an intentional black sheep choice by my dad. So there was a lot, he was born in 42 okay. and this, so this would have all been happening like in the late fifties and like going into the sixties. And I just think that there was a lot happening culturally and that my dad was perhaps rebelling against his family culture okay. in a way. Okay. I didn't know any of that really. And then my mom's side was much more, I guess I would just say like more blue collar and more like just kind of followed their, the way that their family went. So like they were all in certain kinds of work and that was just what they all did. And I knew those, those aunts and uncles and cousins very well. And so, and she was not college educated and I don't actually think any of her siblings were either. So that was like, I don't know. It's just interesting now to look back and say there was like these two very different family experiences that my mom and my dad were coming from, but together it was two people with no experience, no direct college experience. And my dad maybe having a bit of a chip on his shoulder about mm -hmm. it. So, yeah. Okay. So that's kind of what I was growing up in. So Education was very important. Learning was very important. It was important to be like knowledgeable about things in my house. You did not want to be a dummy at the Scrabble game. Yeah. Like you did not want to know, not know the musical reference or the book being quoted. Like that was like really important stuff. But school, eh, right. like can take it or leave it. So when I think of the, like the attitudes I got about college from my parents, it's kind of neutral. Like it's almost not even there. I know that. I assumed I would go to college, but I think I assumed I would go to college because my teachers, my friends yeah. and my guidance counselors assumed I would go to college. And my parents definitely weren't weren't um, in any way unsupportive. I think my mom really wanted me to go. My sister by this point, I was also the youngest. So my sister had gone. My brother had gone um, like we all kind of knew that was where I guess I and I'm putting should in quotation marks should be heading. Also, mid-90s, the assumption was kind of like if you were a decent student with any kind of access to resources, you were probably going to college after right. high school. There wasn't really, like, there weren't paths really offered that weren't that. Yeah. So, um, but my parents were kind of clueless. Like, they were still living in the world where, people, you know, young people just worked at the five and dime on the weekends yeah. and paid their college tuition that way. And I think that lack of like them really understanding the process, how it worked and like how to plug me in with the right resources and stuff like that. I think that was a detriment to me, yeah. which we'll get into later. Um, so anyway, just talking about attitudes, I do feel like I had a ton of autonomy to choose or not choose. I think it's interesting how much I just assumed that was what I would do. And I never really thought of any other path. Um, 
I never even really considered looking into the idea that there might be another path right. when I was in high school. It wasn't until much later that I started to like question whether everybody always has to go to college. Right. So right. that's what I remember. So, so let me ask you this now. Um, and I'll, I guess I'll go first on this one, but what we remember being told about college and the process, and that kind of ties into what I was just saying, both from our parents, but also from our teachers and um, guidance counselors. And what I really remember is not being told much about like how to choose a college. I remember having at least one talk with my, um, with my guidance counselor where he told me not to major in English because I would never get a job as anything besides an English teacher, which now I come back to that one. (laughs) (laughs) And now I look at that and I'm like, that was just terrible. Like, like it's so untrue. And also I got pushed into like a pre like a business degree, which was not what I thought it was. I thought it would be like, like marketing and advertising, like Mad Men stuff. And it was economics and statistics and market data and research. I'm like, not stuff that I really wanted to do. It's really not. Not for Megan's. No, I I think now I would actually find it interesting now that I have actual world, like world experience and business experience. I'm like, oh, that would fill in some gaps for me that I don't have right now. But like at the age of 18 and no, that is not going to hold my interest. Or 16 when you graduate high school. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Or cater to my skill set. So I just don't remember being told enough, I guess is what I would say. I remember like getting an application. I think I chose my college based on the fact that it was kind of close to home. I liked the campus and my best friend was going there, who then I broke up with my best friend and ended up with a new best friend. Who's Jenna? Yeah. Who's so like, that's friend. a whole yeah. thing. Who's still my best friend. Right. But like, I was not going to room with Jenna at first. I was going to room with this other girl yeah. who I had a falling out with. And I knew Jenna from high school. We were friends, but not like as close. And so anyway, I just feel like there was like a big, like a big cloud over my understanding. And the biggest thing I didn't understand was that there were people that could help me. Yeah. I did not truly understand that there were entire people at the college. Like I didn't want to bother anybody. Yeah. So I didn't talk to an advisor. I didn't really, I went through like the mandatory, you, you do have to go through like a um, financial aid. Like, I don't know. You have to sit down with somebody yeah. and do like a little seminar or something. I did that cause I had to, or they wouldn't give me any money, but I didn't like really figure out how this all works. Yeah. And, and I guess I don't have any regrets. I mean, I was, I was young and, and dumb. I didn't know anything. Um, but that is something I remember about that. Yeah. So curious for you. I love this question. And I'm like, I am thinking back to what I actually knew and what my parents knew. You know, I have empathy for parents doing this now because I hear everyone saying like, oh, my gosh, it's so different than when we were applying to college. But I actually think my parents thought the same thing in 1990, yeah. mid 90s, by the when they were looking ahead a couple of years. Um, they felt like, oh, my gosh, it's so different from when they just went to the local state school. So. Um, to their credit, I do think I got connected earlier on. When I say early on, maybe late sophomore year, early junior year. I think they were probably talking to other parents. I think I was a kid who had been two things happened. I was a kid who had been kind of recognized for academic excellence in various ways where people were telling my parents like, you know, like she could probably go like to lots of different schools, like other than just the ones right here in town. And number two, my parents were kind of entering like a financial situation that allowed them to think beyond local community college. So they were open to that too. So I remember probably by 16 or so having like being kind of told that I could look around. I could look at schools in other states. I could look at you know, small private colleges. If I wanted, I could look at those like elite IVs if I wanted to try for that. And so to, to give a lot of adults, a lot of credit that those doors were suggested to me. I'm not sure I would have, I don't know. I I don't know what I would have done. I think those, I, I was gently, those things were gently suggested to me. And then there was an actual, I actually went to a college counselor, like a private one at this lady's house. Um, a couple of times. And I think it was just because my parents didn't know, they didn't know what to do next. Okay. We have this very like academically advanced kid. We have, um, the wherewithal to explore some pricey options. If that's like, if that ends up being the right fit, but now what do we do? And I went to this lady's house and she had a bunch of the big 
glossy brochures, the, the big ones. I remember her really trying to tell me that it wasn't all about Stanford, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, blah, 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 but that there were these um, liberal arts college, small liberal arts colleges. And I remember her really pushing hard on like Carleton and Oberlin and um, Smith and the ones in California, like the Claremont McKenna colleges in California. Um, And there's nothing wrong. I mean, those are like incredible schools. And I just remember kind of knowing like, yeah, I think I want like a university. I think I want the idea of like a little bit bigger university. I remember telling her, I don't want to go to a college smaller than my high school. And I went to a pretty big public high school. So anyway, that's those are kind of fuzzy memories. I must have met with her two or three times. And I think all she did was like, we didn't have the internet quite yet. I shouldn't say the internet existed, but like rapid searching and looking at college websites was just a couple of years away. Like it was just before. And so I, she showed me like what the applications were like. So I do remember that was a long way of saying, I remember some well-meaning adults fumbling their way toward trying to give me like at least the building blocks I would need to apply to schools. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we kind of talked a little bit about expectations already about like whether we'd go and if, you know, where we'd go. And we both kind of already touched on that, but I'm curious, did you feel like there were expectations on you either from your parents or from friends or from your teachers or whatever about like what you would major in or whether you'd choose something practical? Um, or even like if you were expected to use your degree, I'm putting that in big yeah. air quotes, you know, I know there's, that can be a conversation in a lot of families. Yeah. Like if you major in one thing and then do something totally different, that can be a source of tension. And then I'm also just curious about like what kind of involvement your parents actually had in your college career. Like once you were in and, and I'm talking academics, yeah. like what, how much oversight, yeah. how much did they want to be kept up to speed? None. Not at all, which I'm so grateful for. Um, I was given, I I mean, I think I, I probably claimed autonomy more than was given autonomy. I was stubbornly self-reliant and independent and, um, just did everything myself. And I, I didn't need help or get into trouble for a long time. So, um, I, thankfully I was not at all pressured to choose a practical major. And I think I went in guns blazing as an English literature major before I even got to school and I never changed my mind. So like, I just, I do remember a lot of questions about the practicality of an English major, but not from my parents. So to their credit, um, there's a huge amount of privilege wrapped up in that, that I really understand differently now as an adult at the time, I really like I had bought hook, line and sinker, this idea that a four year education didn't have to be immediately practical that that I that an English major could turn into marketing or advertising or go to law school. Um, And I was really kind of like proudly um, defensive of that. And I now really see like, well, (laughs) there's like a huge amount of assumed safety net and, and financial privilege in the ability to say, I'm just going to go be an English major and the rest will work itself out. So like I see that now with adult eyes. I didn't then. And I do feel extremely grateful that there wasn't um, parental pressure to pick a practical major or then to be at all involved in my academic decisions. I within college, I applied for and got accepted to a creative writing program that was like elite within my sort of already elite school. And then I did half of it. And then I studied abroad and I came back and I didn't want to finish the creative writing program. I just wanted to flip back to being a regular English lit major. None of that. All of those were completely my own decisions. I'm not even sure I told my parents like I just. Yeah. I mean, they were let's be very clear. They were paying those tuition bills and then giving me the opportunity to find my academic way. And that I mean, that is a huge, huge gift. Yeah, I think that there's some interesting um, parallels, even though our backgrounds are so different. So my family did not have like a lot of means and. I was paying for college through a um, a combination of loans and grants and I guess a couple of scholarships, not big ones, and working to pay my bills, you know, things like that, my, my personal bills. But I also did not, like my parents also did not have a lot of, um, maybe because of this, they weren't really, I think my dad took a parent loan out, but it wasn't a big one. And they didn't have a lot of say so in like what classes I chose. They didn't look at my report cards. I don't remember them like exerting a lot of 
either influence or assistance. So it's kind of like a little neutral, you know, like there could have been some great things about having more help, but also I didn't have the pressure of like having to perform to a certain level, which I did not perform too much of any level, um, especially in my second year. But I guess what I would also say is that my dad in particular, being someone who'd been self-employed for so long and had never gotten a college degree, I think his attitude was that like there was no loadedness about college. It was like, hey, yeah, if you want to go do that, cool. Choose whatever degree you want. It doesn't matter. I really right. think that was his feeling. Right. So there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of like, it wasn't like, no, you need to go become like um, a nurse anesthetist because that's going to make a lot of money and you'll make the money back that, you know, you're putting in. It was kind of like, this will neither make nor break you. Yes. So knock yourself out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was truly the feeling I got, which in some ways was so great. And in some ways was a little short-sighted, um, especially in the nineties on, um, because at that time, there were a lot of career paths that required I, that's really changed for kids now there there's almost like a moving away from all those roles needing to have four year college degrees attached. But at yeah. the time, that was very much the case. Kids were expected to get those four year diplomas at least to like show a certain level of aptitude or sure. a level of follow through. I mean, it almost didn't matter what the degree was in for some just that you had it. So I think there was a little magical thinking on the part of my of my dad that was based kind of in him projecting his personality on me. The good news is it turns out I actually totally had his personality type and really didn't care. And I never finished college. So like and it really I've never not gotten a job because of my lack of college degree. Not once because the kinds of jobs I'm applying for, I wouldn't like I didn't want the kinds of jobs right. that required it anyway, or I found a way to work it. Like I would, I would work a personal connection or I'd work an experience level, something else. So yeah. I don't know. It's, it's interesting. Like, I don't want to do like a woulda, coulda, shoulda, because every single choice we make leads to every other single thing that happens to us. And I wouldn't take anything back, but it is interesting to kind of take myself out of like what actually happened and say, well, what if someone had said, no, you should really do this kind of a degree. And here I'm going to help you with like this part of the process. I don't, I have really no idea yeah. how that would have played out. Yeah. You know, I'm just thinking as you talk real quick, um, you are also unafraid of career pivots and that I wonder if you saw either of your parents, cause like the, the leap from college and college degree and college major to career pivots, probably of our parents collective generation was really influenced by whether they had experienced career pivots themselves or saw people like if in the, in the model where someone does the same job from when they're 22 to 65 and retire with a gold watch. If you grew up in that kind of an environment, I could see how that like the assumed major to job choice just felt like a really fixed thing. I know both of my parents had, my dad had a very big uh, career pivot about 10 years, like after going to dental school and becoming a dentist, like really big. And that was in my childhood. And my mom also had like in and out of the workforce and then ended up going back to education. So I wonder if my parents, like they themselves were living while I was growing up, they were living their own career pivots. And I wonder if there was a little more flexibility or a little more willingness to like go along with my desire to be an English major because they, they were living what it was like to think you were going to be one thing and then switch gears. And yeah, you got a degree in this, but now you're doing this and it, you know, turned out okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. It's like my, my dad definitely was not afraid of career pivots. His whole adult life and career was like one pivot after the other. My mom was a homemaker until getting a divorce and then ran a um, childcare center out of her house for years and then kind of just couldn't quite figure out what she wanted to do. So I think she would have been happier sticking with one thing, yeah. like working within a system. And I think I just inherited more from my dad that um, kind of rebelling against system the system. <laughs> yeah, exactly. System averse. So, you know, for better or for worse, like there's good and bad to both of those things. And, uh, it's just interesting how we like that timing, because I would actually say my old, my sister who's 10 years older is, is less, uh, systems averse. She actually works very well inside of systems and maybe she, she absorbed a different government, right? Yes. She, she has for 30 years, I yeah. think. So a long time. So, um, maybe not 30 years, but a long time, 25 years, probably. So I just wonder if like, 
maybe at different points of our lives, we saw different little windows into the world. And the expectations in, in my household were like, work hard and do something, like, do yeah. something and do good at it. Like, we don't really care what it is. And there yeah. wasn't a lot of expectation around anything from, you know, letters after your name or um, any, there really weren't any expectations around being defined by what you do, yeah. I don't think. And so it was a means to an end. So, yeah. Well, I wonder um, if there's just anything we wish we'd known back when we were in this like college bound time of life. Yeah. Um, I do. Again, I don't want to say I wish I'd known how many choices I had when you were talking about, you know, like a, the college counselor kind of trying to push you toward smaller schools. I actually think I would have really, really um, thrived in a very small school when I briefly, well, twice went back to school after um, Jacob and Isaac were born and was at a community college for a while where I was in really small classes. I did really, really well. And anytime there was like accountability, there was a small group I had to show up for and I wasn't lost in the crowd. I did really, really well. I was less, um, I was less like invested in all the, the, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the stuff that go, the perks that go along with university life. Uh I did not take advantage of those. They weren't a big draw for me and they weren't a big benefit for me. So I just, I don't want to say I wish I'd known because what if I'd gone to a different school and my life turned out totally different. Right. Um, But it, it, it would have been a cool thing to know. And I could have even done that as a young mom. So it wouldn't have necessarily have Mm -hmm. had to like uproot my entire life or like mean I didn't have those children or whatever. I still could have known that. And I go, I just don't think I really did. I just wish, I think I wish I'd known more about my options and like all the people and resources that were there to help me. Yeah. And I would say that particularly in my twenties, when I already had kids, I think if I'd really wanted to go back to school and do the more traditional university or like small college route, that was open to me more than I knew. I did not realize that I could still do that and that there were ways to get help. And I just didn't know. So, you know, um, I guess if I could just, that's the through line, just wishing I'd known how many options, like that my, my parents understanding didn't have to be the limiting factor. Right. Or the few examples you'd seen with your siblings and your friends, like those weren't the only eight ways to go to college. Like there were Mm -hmm. other ways. Yeah. Um, I think the one that comes to mind for me in terms of anything I wish I'd known is an area that I got extremely lucky, but it could have gone the other way. And that is, I really believed in a very fixed Sarah typical way that I needed to choose whether dance was going to be a major, a not major, or even part of my college experience at all. And I grew up like dancing very seriously. And it was the love of my life, especially from 15, 16, 17, the same years where you're thinking ahead to college. And I think I really thought like if dance was like a, like a hometown boyfriend, like I think I thought (laughs) I had to break up with dance in order to go to a school that would quote unquote, like support me academically in all the ways I'd been told and shown that I was doing well in the dance world. I was not a phenom, but it was, but I loved it more than school. Does that make sense? So like over here in school, I was excelling in dance. I was very mediocre, but passionately in love. And, um, luckily I ended up by no design, like only just thank you universe at a school where I was able to incorporate dance back into my college experience kind of after getting used to like freshman year. And really I thought I was done. I thought it would be maybe an occasional hobby. And within a semester or so I was back taking class. And within like two quarters, I was being cast in productions. And then like Mm -hmm. by the end, I was doing all the things the dance majors were doing just without majoring. But many schools either don't have a dance department Or if they do, it's competitive enough that non-majors can't get in or can't like just take class. And so just, you know, by the grace of the universe, I ended up at a place where it turns out I didn't have to break up with like what was truly like a transformative part of my adolescence. And I thought like, okay, this is the part where I quit dance and I go become an English professor. And I was just so like fixed mindset about it. And then I lucked into a situation where that didn't have to be the case. Where not only did you not quit dance, but you also didn't become an English professor no, at I any point. No, I became a ballerina. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. And then a podcaster. Yeah. <laughs> Professional podcaster. I love it. 
We are welcoming back Vionic as a sponsor today. And Sarah, I will be honest, I was sorting through my warmer weather wardrobe the other day and it could seriously use a refresh, but you know what's good to go? My shoes. I've got a great selection to choose from thanks to the Vionic Vitals collection. And lately the pair I keep putting on again and again is the Uptown Loafer. I have two pairs, one in sand suede and the other in camel leather, but please don't make me pick a favorite. Oh, I won't. I'll let you keep both. That's so funny, Megan, because I was a little jealous of your Uptown loafers. I was the last one on our team to get a pair, but I just did. I also got mine in the sand suede, and I think I've worn them like four times this week. They really finish off a cute spring outfit. The Vionic Vitals collection has the best essential styles for everyday wear to get you ready for spring. And no matter what shoes you choose, you'll be on the go in comfort because every single pair of Vionic shoes delivers their trademark Viomotion technology for a difference you can feel. Vionic sandals, sneakers, and flats all offer incredible support, stability, and cushioning, and every pair comes with a 30-day risk-free trial, so it's easy to try them out. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Vionic Shoes. Wearable well-being for your feet. Sarah, our sponsor, Haya Health, makes a kid's daily multivitamin that parents can feel great about giving their kids because they have no added sugars or dyes. And our kids who have tried Haya vitamins have loved them, which is important, right? Because what good is a bottle of vitamins that your kid won't take? Haya was founded by two dads who didn't like the ingredients label on some of the popular children's vitamins they were seeing on store shelves, so they got to work developing a formula that would help fill the most common nutrient gaps in modern kids' diets. Haya's chewable kids' vitamin is made with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables and then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals. They're also vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, and nut-free. Haya manufactures their vitamins right here in the USA with globally sourced ingredients, and then they ship their chewable vitamins directly to your door on a pediatrician-recommended schedule. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash MomHour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Okay, Sarah, so let's start with what we see our kids absorbing or learning about college from not us, right? So from like their peers, from their teachers, from social media, from just like the world around them, because I do think this is changing a lot. Um, The thing that I've noticed the most, and I promise this is not coming from me, not directly and not intentionally, and maybe it is to some degree and I'm I'm not seeing it, but my kids are fixated with the cost of college, Mm. fixated. In fact, I tried to talk both Jacob and Isaac into going straight out of high school to college and neither one of them wanted to. All they talked about was how they'd be riddled with debt. Um, they would never get jobs that would pay the debt back. And I, I remember being a little frustrated and saying, yes, that is one narrative. <laughs> that is that is a possibility. <laughs> it is a possibility. It happens. But like, it doesn't have to happen. There's yeah. lots of you could go to a community college for two years and then transfer. You could just go to like um, a lower cost state school and get some money. And, you know, dad and I can chip in some and you can pay the rest like you have options and something about their absolute thinking about that kind of bothered me. But when both of them, when, you know, were graduating high school, I was also in a period of my life where I was completely unable to financially help. We were like in the middle of a divorce. Yeah. So it's like, I wanted them to see more options than they saw. And I can't really blame them for not believing the options were there, or maybe they didn't want to like bother me with it or burden me with it. And that kind of makes me a little sad But at the same time, I really felt like I kept saying, no, you have options. Like, tell me what you want to do and I will help you make it happen. And what they both seemed to want to do was to just kind of go out in the world and try things out and make some money and see how it went. And that's fine. Like they're doing, you know, they're doing cool things. And I don't really have, I'm not saying I have regrets about it. I just think it's interesting. Yeah. When I looked at Will, I knew right from like that I knew from the time William was in like third grade that he was going to be college bound. He's just that kid. He's a joiner. He, um, he likes doing the thing that everyone's doing. Yeah. You know what I mean? I knew that college would be like, he'd be the kid who would take advantage of yeah. like the perks and the bells and whistles. Like I said, I really didn't. I knew that. Now I'm looking at Clara and Owen and I'm like, they're a question mark to me again, because when I ask Owen, 
you know, what do you think? He's like, well, he gets, he gets great grades. He's going to have like a, a really solid GPA. He's going to do very well on his SATs. He's going to be like in a really good position to do something competitive. And I don't know if he wants it. And I don't know why he doesn't want it. And Clara, I think we'll go to art school. So I guess what I'm, what I guess what I'm saying is I don't know where they're getting these ideas that college isn't worth it. I think it's coming from not me. Okay. And, um, I don't exactly know. I know that my, several of my kids have talked about high school teachers talking about student loans and college debt and making a really big deal about it and like how to reduce that burden on your parents. But we're also in an environment in the school my kids go to where um, a lot of kids are probably just assuming they're going to go to expensive schools. And my kids are, so they're here, my kids are hearing the same message as kids who kind of assume that like the world's their oyster and they can go wherever they want. And so my kids are like lowering their own expectations that weren't very high to begin with. And like, that's kind of a bummer to me. So that's just a long winded way of saying, I think that the future of college is, is uh, like culturally uncertain. Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing that come through my kids in a variety of ways. So you just have a lot more uh, like experience than I do in this area. Teenagers. Yes. So my oldest is 14 and I I don't know what my kids yet are absorbing learning about college. I don't think they're part of conversations like the ones you're having quite yet. Yeah. Although my oldest is entering ninth grade, it's going to like, it will ramp up. But we also, they also don't have any older cousins. Um, So, mm-hmm. and we have moved in their formative years. So we don't even have, we had a couple of babysitters go off to college, like right before the pandemic. And, but like, they don't even have community members around them who are making college decisions. We're really just kind of in a little bit of a vacuum in that area. So I think they know what they've heard us talk about. Brian and I met in college. So they, they, there's lots of stories about college being fun and they have visited the Northwestern campus and went to a football game with us a few years ago. And so they, I think they have um like a Disney movie concept of college. <laughs> I don't think they yeah, have, and, and there hasn't been like teacher or peer or community influence in the way that you're talking about yet. That's not there yet. Well then let's talk about what your family, cause that is going to be the, you know, that's going to be the first influence for them. It's happening already, like you said, and will continue to happen regardless of what influences they have from the outside. Um, does your family have expectations or assumptions around college for your kids, either you and Brian or your parents, your siblings, like aunts, uncles, um, you know, what do you think they're going to absorb from the people around them? Um, I think they're going to absorb that college is an option and that, um, they have the support to make the decision that's right for them. We have not established any kind of like a family expectation that you go right from high school to college. And we have examples in and around the family of that not being the the um, charted course. So I don't know. I feel like jury's a little bit still out on that one, except that I, I guess I feel I feel divided on that question because on the one hand, if they are to yeah. look to Brian and me and my parents and their aunts and uncles on both sides, most people went right to a four year college. Many of them to, you know, schools that were decently expensive or out of state. So there is an, a built in assumption just by looking around them that like that's what you do. You you graduate, and you go to college. On the other hand, I I don't feel strongly that that is the only way. In fact, I feel strongly that that is not the only way. Um, But I could see how, by example, they're looking around and that's what they're seeing. So I am not sure. Yeah. Um, Just like a side question. Do you think that anything about you being self-employed, running a business that has like really nothing to do with your college degree, do you think that that influences them in any way? Um, That's a good question. Or will? I, I don't, I don't know if it influences them, but I I have been really open about again. And Brian and I have both had career pivots and we've both like, again, kind of normalized that Brian was an art major. He was a fine art major and I was an English major and he works in wealth management and sales. And I am a podcaster (laughs) and my brother who we're very close to, like, didn't go to college, didn't even finish high school right away later, like got a GED, went to college way later, was in real estate, became a nurse midlife. I think that, um, like, I think 
hopefully they're seeing examples of that career trajectory being open. Again, like I said, there's like assumed generational privilege in that. It's not the same as just like, you know, figuring out what you need to do to support yourself at 19, 20, 21, 22 years old. Right. Um, and I, and I think they're aware of that too. Um, but yeah, I'm not even sure if I answered your question. No, you did. You did. And I, I would answer it like similarly an add on that, um, for the better and for worse. And I think there's both, um, both their dad and I are self-employed and have been always since they can remember. Right. And what they see is two people who didn't have to finish college to carve out good careers for themselves. They're also starting to see the financial benefits of that now. And I think they have short memories, right? (laughs) Like they weren't aware of how very broke we were for a very long time while trying to get these businesses off the ground and while working really hard to kind of, and, and like writing out the years where like the famine years and like a recession and publishing crumbling before my eyes when I was just getting my bearings as like a writer. And then suddenly publications start going under like all of that stuff. They don't remember that. And so there's a little, I don't want to say arrogance is not the right word, but a little blase ness that they sometimes have about like, well, you know, you and dad figured it out. Right. And like that expectation that they'll just be able to like, quote, figure it out when they're 19 years old. And that's just not exactly how it works. Like it took us decades to figure this out. We're still figuring it out. Right. Just like a lot of people are at a a multiple, like a multitude of kind of careers. I think it's also exacerbated by the fact that I am in a, I'm in a business. Well, so their dad is in it and I am in a business that could be, I mean, I know we both hate the word influencer, but if from a kid's perspective, That would be the bucket they would put sure. my job especially in. How, especially how you make the actual money. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. And they are also surrounded by influencer culture yep. and tech culture mm-hmm. that makes it seem super easy yeah. to just go start an online business and or become an influencer. So we're almost like fighting double uh-huh. again, like with the fact that neither one of us are doing something kind of normal. Right. <laughs> and that can both be glamorized. Um, so anyway, that's not even really answering my own question, which was, does my family have expectations or assumptions around college? And I guess what I would say is I don't, but I find myself having to constantly fight back against my kid's idea of what, like how easy it actually is to do what I do and what their dad does and how available that kind of job might be to them if they don't go to school. Like I don't really care, quote unquote, if they go to and or finish college, but I want them to be working towards something that is, um, that is real and that they recognize it will take hard work. And that's the part I'm not a hundred percent sure they really understand because they don't see, it's not like they're not looking at their dad and I and going, okay, well, we want to do like what mom does or what dad does. And here's the catalog of courses I need to now invest myself in to right. get to that point. They're just like, no, nah, I guess I'll just jump in and like, I don't know, get a webcam and start a YouTube channel. So, you know, hopefully with maturity and with some life experience, they'll start to figure that out. But that is something that maybe makes me push them a little harder toward college than I otherwise uh-huh. might. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, curious if your kids, and I know yours are younger than mine, but I'm actually literally just curious about your kids. Cause my kids, I can't get a straight answer out of most of them about this. Do they talk about college? Do they have an idea where they'll go? And I'll just say, no, mine don't, except for the one who's going. Yeah. Um, Clara and Owen, I can't get much out of them about it. How about you? I would say no, only like sometimes it'll be something jokey. I mean, Reed is probably the one who might be on a path toward multiple degrees. Like that's something we haven't talked about yet, but, um, Brian and I just both stopped after four years. And so the kids don't have a ton of examples of like really long-term, like people in PhD programs or, you know, doctoral programs that like, where it's like, it is your career for another, like they haven't had a lot of up close examples of that. Whereas I do think that Reed probably would make a very good academic. And we sometimes like joke about that or, 
he has always been really into oceans and marine um, sciences. And so like, we'll sometimes be like, well, UCSB is like got a great marine biology program. And like, it's very offhand. Um, so I no. in fact, my oldest, we are at a middle school that goes through ninth grade, which means we have not even enrolled in high school yet. Um, the lo- the mm-hmm. local public high schools are nine through 12, but um, our middle school is six through nine. And so we have like a bonus year of middle school and we actually have some like crosstown enrollment options for even for public high school. There's a few options. So I actually feel like the next few months for us are going to be making high school decisions. I just don't feel like we're even there yet. Yeah. Um, when you talk about reading, it makes me think of Owen because I truly believe that Owen, um, not only his intellectual capabilities, but like his personality and, and his attention to detail, like all of those things make me think and make me believe that he is perfectly suited to be a nerd in a nerdery, mm-hmm. to, like toiling over nerddom. Mm-hmm. Right. But he needs to figure out what sort of nerd yeah. and what's, what's kind of nerdery he wants to be in and like what that toiling looks like. And he just seems kind of like very lackadaisical about it. Yeah. Yeah. He wants to do well in school and maybe he'll figure it out. He's still got two more years of high school. But um, I'm like, come on, man. Yeah. I wish my brain worked like yours. So right, right. let's figure like, this out. We should out. all be so lucky. Yeah. Let's let's point yeah, that ex- in a direction and just give it a try. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And he's also very good at like pointing out flaws. Um, So as we've talked about, remember how we used yeah. to rate my meals? Yes. Yeah. And and not like in a mean way, but in a way where he is very like productively critical. Uh-huh. Um, So some kind of like logistics or something where. Yeah you know, figuring out analyst, like how the like, grocery, like yeah. how the grocery store should be laid out yeah. so that because he has like real big opinions about that sort of thing. So I feel like for him, college might be the place he figures that out because he's going to run into some limitations that the people around him aren't going to be the people who can tell him mm-hmm. what that is. I don't think what kind of nerdery he should be nerding in. So I kind of feel like with him, it's going to be a, a perhaps a long and um, meandering path to find him something really cool. And that's why I want to get him like squarely on board because I think he'll find it there. And I don't know that I can like direct him toward it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been really fun. I want to ask like just one more question. This is a fun one um, to kind of wrap up. Have you, Sarah or me, have you ever considered going back to school or is that even like remotely something that is in the realm of possibility? Um, So the one time I have not really considered it since having kids, I did flirt with the idea when I was about three, four years out of undergrad and I had done my dance career um, and was working corporately. And I did consider going to law school, which I don't think would have been like I looking back. It's like, okay, yeah, I mean, I would (laughs) have been good at law school, but like one of the, one of the many, how many writers do we know who are like, well, I went to law school and like really became I a writer. Want, right. Yeah, yeah. That would have been me. Yeah. So it's a very expensive way to discover you actually just like learning and thinking about things and would rather be a writer. So I'm glad that I didn't, I think I was about 24, 25, like early married. Um, since having kids, I have not considered it really, but I, I do like, you know, when we were talking about how many kids people have and how there's like this slight envy when people have like a bunch more kids than you. And you think, well, Mm -hmm. I could have done that. I do think sometimes um, the idea of a graduate program or a master's degree, there's something like sort of um, exotically appealing to me about that. I really don't get a very academically intense four years, um, including one of those four was at Oxford, which was even more academically. And I don't say that to drop the school name, but the system there was really, really academically intense for me. And I was a lot less, I had a lot less well, well-rounded, um, a life than I did at my American four-year university. So I just think, I don't think I would enjoy being a student again. And I say that as someone who identified as an excellent student for so much of my young life. So I don't know, I guess if the, like the right program came along, but I, I feel complete. Yeah. Um, well, as you know, I leave no possibility off the table. Um, and I've thought about going back to school many times. So where I landed with college after I I dropped out when, 
well, I dropped out of university when, when I was pregnant with Jacob and then ended up going back to a community college when he was a baby and then later transferred into a, a, a state school that had like an online program. And this was 22 years ago. So like that was early, early yeah. online programs um, when Isaac was a baby. And I think all told, I probably, and at that point I had switched to an English major. I, I got wise about the business thing, switched to English and got, I'm going to say close to a hundred credits. Like I got a lot of credits where I was within spitting distance of maybe finishing, but like cobbling all those credits together in a way that made sense. And then actually letting, like having one university say, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, that this, sounds like administratively, like, like <laughs> I don't know that it would overwhelming. have been overwhelming, but I started making money writing. And then I was like, well, why am I getting an English degree when I'm making money writing? This is silly. So I said, I'm just going to hit pause on this and then I'll just go back later. And I never did because my career really, really took off. And at the time, I remember being very impatient. So that by this point, I'm 25. I've got three kids, right? Um, or I guess I had two kids and one on the way at this point when I finally said, like, I'm just going to put a pin in this. Um, I was impatient with college students. I was impatient with the college, with college professors. I was impatient with the process. Like I felt very, it was like I was giving away my money so they could tell me what to do. So they could tell me I was worthy to do my a job yeah. Yeah. to make money, to take care of my family. So I don't really feel like I got the best experience that I could have. And so part of me kind of wishes like not in a do over kind of way, but thinks, well, when my kids are all gone, what would that be like? Like, what would it be like to go back to school knowing myself so much better, having so much better organizational skills yeah. and really understanding like how my brain works and how to make it, you know, get things done. And on top of that, not having that pressure of like, I don't have time for this. I oh. want, I want to be here. I want to be learning. It's not because this is what's going to make me right. be able to put food on the, the table. Way of, it's also not competing right. for your time and resources in the way exactly. that it was. Yeah. Right. And I wonder what that would be like. And um, it, I wonder about it just enough to think maybe someday I would just take like one college course and see, just mm -hmm. to see. And it could be in something super random, like a language um, or my sister keeps going back. She went back for like an archaeology program that she started and then she stopped and like she just does stuff. She just likes to learn. So yes. I think there is something about being in that environment. Uh, my Jenna's mom went back to vin divinity school and became a priest after her kids all went to college. So. Like what an interesting thing when she yeah. was like a 30 year old mom with a couple of kids and like all overwhelmed by life. Did she think one day I'll be an Episcopal priest? Probably not. Right. But just that deep dive on something, especially if it was something where being like 50 wouldn't make me feel silly right? or like, you know, like, why am I in this program? But, oh no, this is the kind of program that people of all ages do. Yeah. I think that could be really fun. So I, and I think something about being on a campus and all of that is so appealing to me. So well, I'm just going to put that solidly in the maybe category. Sure. And like you said, not, not closing any possibilities. And I'm glad you brought that up because as you were talking, I was like, well, what I love is I love that sort of like classic academic learning environment. And I love a college campus and I love the arts and in culture, library. libraries, <laughs> arts and culture, yeah. music plays like that. I, I had such a rich four year college experience in terms of, I was thinking about like, getting to go see shows. I mean, Northwestern has like a legit theater department, but like we would just be like, oh, who's in a play this weekend? Like whose band yeah. is playing? Who like yep. that? I I'm so and all the perks, like yeah. the cheap college student tickets, yes, and all of those exactly. things. Yeah, it was just what we yeah. did. Um, So anyway, being back. So living in Santa Barbara now, we've been back two years. Um, We have an incredible community college. I, I used to say or used to hear it was like the best community college in the state. And I actually it's like one of those things. I have no idea, but it is a really, really great Santa Barbara City College, Community College, and then UC Santa Barbara is a university that's here and both have ways to audit courses or like adult ed or like mm -hmm. go to lectures. And we went to, I took the older two kids to see a community theater production a week or two ago and at the city college, not even at the university. And it was so good. So I'm really, really looking forward to being back in a town with access to college life, college campuses. Yeah. Maybe not. We don't have football. UCSB doesn't have a football team. So there's no college football, but we have been to their basketball games. I forgot about that. So I, I, that is enough for me. I don't need the, yeah. the advanced degree, but I am really looking forward to that. And hopefully as my kids do choose colleges, making like being a college parent, I think will be really fun. Yeah. You know what I think would be really fun is if I like, um, secretly, uh, like 
joined whatever registered as like um, an audit student to wherever Clara goes to school and then show up in her class on the first day. Don't you think that would be hilarious? I feel like Wouldn't there's like a movie it, about la- that. Real riot. Be there like, must be it's a, a Disney Channel that. movie. Like it's a, it's some kind of like teeny bopper movie. I'm sure. Starring like Lindsay Lohan uh-huh. or something. Right? As the mom now. Let's be real. <laughs> well, right, right, right. No, I'm talking about back in like the 2000s. Know, it would have been her and another copy of herself. And yeah. we're like mixing up Freaky Friday. Know, we just Parent watched Trap that. Right now, I we think. W- just watched that Lindsay Lohan Freaky Friday or Violet did. And I was like in the room. Yeah. So it's fresh in my mind. Oh, I love it. Well, this has been really fun. I love these like deep dives into all the different things that inform our parenting decisions and are like how that can affect our kids, even when we aren't aware of it. Mm-hmm. I think talking about how we were affected yeah. when our parents probably had no idea, it just it's shines such a light on like all the ways our kids absorb messages yeah. about everything, um, sometimes without us even really being aware or involved. So uh, this has been really fun. Yeah, really fun. And I, I would say if you're listening and you are actively like, in the sort of preparation for looking at colleges, visiting colleges, applying to colleges, and um, you have like tips to share with us or our com- or our community, or if you're part of a university or college counseling, like I'd be very open to continuing to explore this topic selfishly because I'm just like at the precipice of the next few years of starting to think about it more. So hit us up yeah. and then um, come back Friday. I am interviewing my friend Catherine Perlman, who uh, has a new book out all about your kids first phone, but it is a book for kids about digital responsibility and just all the things about um, getting their first phone. And we just answered Sherry's listener question, I think last week about this. Um, And it's a really, really sweet book. And Catherine is an amazing conversation. So come back Friday. I'll be talking to my friend, Catherine Perlman, and we will talk to you then. Talk to you then. Guess what, Megan? Over 10,000 teens are already using our sponsor, Erica, to help them unplug. That is amazing. Erica, that's Erica with a K, is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug whenever they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. It's so cool how this works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Yeah, you know, teens really get that social media comes with risks, including addiction. And Erica helps them build healthy habits and self-regulation that will benefit them their whole lives. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. The Mom Hour is brought to you by partners like Chatbooks. Chatbooks makes it beyond easy to create beautiful photo books by importing your digital photos from anywhere, Instagram, Facebook, Google Photos, or directly from your phone. The books come in a variety of sizes with beautiful cover options and binding styles to choose from, and they start at just $15. Plus, we have a great deal just for our listeners. Use code THEMOMHOUR20 to save 20% off your purchase. Just download the Chatbooks app and use code THEMOMHOUR20 to save 20%.